You're listening to The Voice of Dog. This is Rob McWolf, your fellow traveler, and today's story is Three Tales of Ukabal by Ritter, a musical husky with a passion for literature. You can find more of his stories, including the full Loom of Hours cycle, on AO3. Please enjoy Three Tales of Ukabal by Ritter. One day, some students were having a discussion about the origin of man when they came to a disagreement that neither Honey nor Garum could assuage. For the sake of their friendship, they resolved to suspend the discussion and sought out the wisdom of their master, Junan, in the temple. O teacher, they said, where do we come from? Junan said, where you come from is what you make it. The students, not understanding, replied, Where then do we come from, the gods who made us or the men who made themselves? At this, Junan lost his temper. Idiot youngsters, go bother the groundskeeper with your foolishness. I have no time for sophistry. And then he returned to attending the gods. The students heeded his words, and their legs took them to Kisun, the groundskeeper. Dear sir, they said, pray enlighten us. Where do we come from? This was Kizun's reply. When the world was young and man and plant and beast still called each other equals, there was speech, and speaking was power, and every utterance was a violence upon the face of the land. Amid the seas of boiling rock and fields rampant with strangling fern, came Erea Kaisa, whose visage was silence. The chief and creator deity of Ukabali Pantheon, Erea Kaisa is noteworthy in that they are never referred to using any part of speech other than their name. They are deemed too important to be substituted with anything other than themselves. Humbert, 1997. And Erea Kaisa gazed upon the land, where in their battles lion and stag cleft mountains in twain and Ibex raised mighty whale from geysers out of the deep. And Ereakaisa saw Millipede steal the legs from slug and snail, and Bat steal the wings from Emu. And Ereakaisa saw also that Wolf split man from man, so that, enraptured by the beauty of his brother's face and legs and breasts, man would distract himself from the hunt and lay with his sprung-off kin. But instead, delight so possessed man that he chased after Wolf to share with him these pleasures, and Wolf became Dog, who chased after Ox, and Ox became Cow, who chased after Horse. Then Arakaisa, tiring of this chaos, came and choked the word out of every creature, and all of them howled and mewled and squeaked and ululated in anger and dismay, but to no end, for speech had gone out of them, and their word was no longer deed carven upon the earth. So the creatures learned to resolve their disputes with blows, and to this end grew claw and thorn and sting, while man retreated to his delights and built yokes and vineyards and pleasure domes. And Ereakaisa took pity upon man from whom Wolf had taken his hunter's cunning and allowed him to retain the most part of his speech. And this is why people take such joy in creating figments and toying with words and colors for we are as children playing with their parents' tools. 
in the hopes that one day we may be allowed to wield them fully once more. Now Arya Kaisa was content with the world, and wandered far afield to where the sands and skies intertwine, in the place where neither time nor cause holds sway, and there made a dwelling, and listened as the earth and the wind and the sea wove together a song of primeval being. Arya Kaisa slept then, and sleeps still, dreaming of things long gone and things which we of the soil will not see come to pass. And all who come upon Ereakaisa's form partake too of this slumber, for in this way they become party to blessed creation. Some disciples were unsatisfied with this answer, and rather than resume the argument they resolved to ask the street sweeper, Baal Liao. Dear madam, they said, pray enlighten us. Where do we come from? This was Baal Liao's reply. The children of man were not always scattered across the realms, for the firstborn once regarded each other as siblings, dwelling in the same lands and dining at each other's feasts, and building great houses together as close kin are wont to. But a hard drought came and laid waste to the fields, and there was a want of food in the land, such that many people were brought to the edge of death. The youngest of the firstborn, who was named Inti, sought aid from Neb, who as eldest had first pick of the fruits of the earth. But Neb rebuffed him, and so Inti sailed to meet Kier, who as second eldest had first pick of the fruits of the sea. But Kier too sent him away empty-handed, and so Inti went to meet Uk, who had not yet withdrawn from the world, and as third eldest had rights to the herds of the vast plains. Some scholars, Egidius 2001, Humbert 1997, note the similarity of the names Neb and Kier to the Egyptian Neb, Lord, and the Greek Kyrios, also Lord. This resemblance is merely speculative, however. Inti is most likely a reference to the Indus region. Olar Calvin, 2011, provides surprising evidence to suggest that it may refer to the Incan sun god of the same name. Uk, of course, forms the etymological root of the city of Ukabal, which the hero is said to have founded. Uk's heart was filled with mercy, and he gave to Inti a third part of his herds and a third part of his lands between the mountains and the sea, where Inti and his family could settle and make themselves a new home. For a time, prosperity blessed the siblings, and their fortunes and families grew. While Neb's children settled the fertile deltas beyond their homelands, Kier's children journeyed across the seas, and Uks spread throughout the plains on horseback and ox. But Inti's children were confined to the lands between the mountains and the sea, and soon enough the land was not enough to hold them, nor the soil rich enough to sustain their herds, and they began to fear once more that starvation and death would be their doom. So they conspired to invade Uk's realms while he was away, inspecting the new borders of his realm, and they drove forth women and children and cattle alike, ransacking their houses and storming their fields. When Uk heard of this, he was become wroth, and immediately flew to his siblings to seek aid and counsel. But Neb rebuffed him as he had done to Inti, and Kier too rebuffed him, as she had done to Inti. So Uk in his wrath swore an oath to sever kin from kin, invoking the gods who dwelt in the mountains, and they, being beholden to man, had no choice save to uphold it. But they, not wishing to see the blood of man spilt upon the continent, also opened the ways, so that Uk might take his leave and start anew in a strange land. So Uk gathered his wives and his children, and they rode for the ways, 
out of deference for the gods who had birthed them. But on the way they came across Inti and his children, who had grown fat upon the land, and it was filled with rage. He drove them before him, chasing them into the ways, and would have followed them out again into the mountains of a new world, had not the gods closed off that passage before his force could get through. Only then did Uk settle in the land of the ways, raising the first city, Ukabal, upon the figure of the sleeping god. From there did his children expand out, filling the rest of the land, and they kept good watch over the ways, lest curious minds wander in or out and bring the strife of the first siblings with them. Linguistic analysis suggests that this is a sanitized pastiche of two different folktales, both of which have long been known to scholars. In one of the original stories, Uk slaughters Inti and his children and is exiled by the gods to the land of the ways. In the other story, it is Inti who is exiled, but Uk grows jealous of him and usurps his position, banishing him to the new world instead. Runao, the courtier who compiled these stories, may have thought both versions unsuitable for his charges, or may have had philosophical reasons to challenge them. Such speculation is beyond the scope of this work. Still some disciples were unsatisfied with this, so they returned to the temple and brought their query before their master, Junan, once more. O teacher, they said, we have asked Kizun, the groundskeeper, and we have asked Baliao, the street sweeper, but we still do not know where we come from. Junan sighed. Silly children, he said. Come, let me tell you a tale then, and hopefully then you shall be satisfied. This is what Junan said. Once there was a powerful magistrate who was known throughout the land for his wisdom, fairness, and knowledge. He lived in a terraced house far above the city, where many would travel from far and wide to hear his opinion on sundry matters. It also happened that one day, a young crow landed in the magistrate's courtyard with its wing broken. The magistrate, taking pity on the poor creature, took it in and attempted to mend it. But none of his strengths were in the art of healing, and so the magistrate had to pore over his books, make many a failed poultice, and consult with the healers before he could care fully for his new charge. He nursed the crow back to health, and over this time formed a strong bond with it, so that it always returned to his side, singing when the magistrate played music, and listening intently when he discoursed about law and philosophy. One morning, the magistrate was taken gravely ill and had to retire to bed. He fell into a deep, deep sleep from which none thought he would waken. In that sleep, he dreamt he was a young chick, chirping desperately for its mother, gobbling down whatever new grub she came by to deliver. He dreamt that he was a fledgling, learning to spread its wings for the first time, soaring over the woods and fields and cities that men had built. He dreamt that he was a bird, picking at the ground, getting into a squabble with another bird, flying with the stabbing pain of a broken wing into an enclosed garden where a kindly man picked him up with soft hands and laid him upon a table. When the magistrate awoke from his slumber, he opened his window to find his friend the crow, who had waited all his time in the trees outside. My friend, said the magistrate, I do not know who you are and what is meant for us, and it pains me what I must do but there is no way around it. For you must seek new lands instead of returning to me, to me, and you must carry my spirit when I am not, am not. Thus, by the power of my station and the sacredness of our bond, I banish you from this city and this land, never to see your plumage or hear your cry ever again.
and the crow nuzzled the magistrate's arm, took to the heavens, and was never seen again in those parts until the magistrate's death. Junan's tale takes the form of philosophical parables, common to the classical Middle Kingdom period and similar to the Buddhist koan. Confounding allegories are presented straightforwardly with the intention that students meditate upon them until they become enlightened to the metaphor. Leading theories about Junan's tale suggest that it is meant as a representation of the cyclic nature of gods and mortals, that the gods, finding themselves in the bodies of men, must inevitably depart from their home in order to spread their wisdom, resisting the impulse to return to their core selves in the process. See Igidius' Prophets of the Times Bronze Age Divination in Runao's Book of Hours, 2001, page 164, for more details on this interpretation. Do you understand now the three parts to this answer? The more commonly known version of this question, do you understand now that there are three parts to the answer, emphasis added, is a mistranslation popularized by Burton, 1888, said Junan, and the students were enlightened. This was Three Tales of Ukabal by Ritter, read for you by Rob McWolf, Werewolf Hitchhiker. You can find more stories on the web at thevoice.dog, or find the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to The Voice of Dog.